friends and enemies, welcome to the Progress Report. I am your host, Duncan Kinney. We're recording today here from my bedroom recording studio uh, in Amiskwichi, Wiskaigan, otherwise known as Edmonton, here in Treaty 6 territory. And today we're talking with Marco Luciano. He's the director of Migrante Alberta. And if you haven't heard of Migrante Alberta, it is a nonprofit advocacy and mutual aid group dedicated to addressing issues faced by Filipinos in Canada, regardless of their immigration status. It's also a part of Migrante Canada, a national alliance of Filipino organizations that stretches from coast to coast. And, you know, we were very lucky to have Marco on the podcast. The rest of the podcast is going to be a telephone interview between Marco and I. I, unfortunately, uh, have screwed up on the audio end, and you're not going to get this silky, sweet, smooth microphone voice for the rest of the podcast. It's just going to be the conversation between Marco and I, but it is an incredibly important conversation. You know, we touch on... You know, the issues facing Filipino workers in meatpacking plants and, you know, continuing care facilities, two sectors of the economy hit incredibly hard by coronavirus. We also talk about Migrante Alberta's uh, Healthcare for All campaign, which is, uh, you know, a campaign that's that started a couple of weeks ago and is incredibly important. And you might think that, hey, what do you mean healthcare for all? Don't Doesn't Alberta, doesn't Canada have universal health care? Well, not necessarily for the 70,000 undocumented folks who live and work in Alberta. And these are our neighbors, and they might not be able to go to the hospital. They might be scared of getting tested unless they're actually told that it's okay. And healthcare is a community issue, making sure that people who don't have the like particular piece of paper that says they're this, that, or the other thing doesn't really matter to me. What I'm interested in is making sure that we beat coronavirus. And that means there needs to be clear messages to folks that they are able to get tested, that they are able to get treatment when they're sick. And that's the kind of crux of their Healthcare for All campaign. So enough of my talking. Let's get to it with Marco. Today, we're talking with Marco Luciano, the director of Migrante Alberta. And if you haven't heard of Migrante Alberta, it is a nonprofit advocacy and mutual aid group dedicated to addressing issues faced by Filipinos in Canada, regardless of their immigration status. And Migrante Alberta is part of Migrante Canada, a national alliance of Filipino organizations that stretches from coast to coast. Uh, and I know Marco, uh, our guest, was even involved in the creation of Migrante Canada. So Marco, welcome to the Progress Report. Uh, thank you. Thank you for inviting me, Duncan. So I know I kind of gave a very brief description of what Migrante does, but but what is the organization doing? What's it doing right now? Like, how is it helping people? What is its kind of day-to-day -day work in these kind of strange, you know, coronavirus times right now? Well, um, nothing much has changed, really, you know, except, you know, more Zoom meetings, uh, more online, um, you know, conversations and um, things like that. But but we continue our advocacy and um, referral work with the FWs around uh, their status. Um, we continue to do our advocacy around migrants' issues, uh, but paying more attention to uh, non-status migrant workers. Um, and uh, this advocacy is around healthcare. Um, we also are part uh, of the advocacy uh, of migrants um, uh, through the Migrants' Rights Network across Canada. Uh, we are um, a founding member of, of that uh, network, uh, which is a loose network of migrants, grassroots organizations from Vancouver to PEI. Um, and of course, Migrante Canada, which is uh, the umbrella organization um, across Canada. Uh, no, we have, we have also, um, in particular to COVID, we have also, uh, Migrante Canada is part of a, a, a network of Filipino organizations that created um, uh, the Kickstarter project called Kapit Bisig Laban 
COVID or roughly translates to uh, linking arms to fight COVID. Uh, and it's a, a hub of resources uh, for volunteers across Canada um, that our members and their friends and their families can access. So uh, that's the project, particularly uh, in these times of COVID. You know, and we were talking on the phone too just the other day, you know, in preparation for this, and you were talking about the other things that you're doing, you know, like grocery drop-offs and keeping track of people, making sure that they're, mm-hmm. you know, being taken care of medically. That's that's another part of the thing that you and Migrante Alberta does, right? Right, right. Now, now we we sort of consolidated that into this whole topic um, BC global COVID. So it is a, uh, uh, um, you know, um, grocery runs. Uh, we try to also raise funds uh, by uh, grocery cards, um, and this is particularly to those who are in the most vulnerable and most precarious situation. Like it, it's really uh, the fundraising and, um, you know, the grocery runs um, and the bread runs are uh, mostly for uh, the most precarious and undocumented migrants um, in, in Edmonton and Calgary. And I mean, one thing that I, th- I don't think a lot of people know is that the single largest country of origin for newcomers to Alberta is the Philippines, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yes. And that, uh, you know, white people don't typically think of like the single largest immigrant group in Alberta is Filipinos, but like that is the reality on the ground, right? Uh, yeah, Alberta is, uh, you know, um, in Alberta alone, there's approximately 175,000 Filipinos, and that is the, you know, stats in 2016. Uh, and that does not even include, you know, the temporary foreign workers or the undocumented migrants. Um, and Alberta has became um, a hub of uh, temporary foreign workers since 2002. Um, you know, um, they work um, here, you know, um, and many, many um, employers um, in, in uh, city centers in Calgary, Edmonton, uh, and most particularly northern Alberta, um, TV oil um, uh, industry there uh, are also filled with uh, migrant workers, not necessarily the highest skilled workers that work the, the oil sands, but the servicing around the, the people that work at the oil sands. You know. The people so, who cook um, the meals and clean the rooms mm-hmm. and do that sort of work, right? Exactly, exactly. Their camps, you know, um, has to be clean. Um, their their can, can, canteens has to be, you know, make sure there's food there. Um, the hotels in, in Fort McMurray, for example, are, are staffed by Filipinos. Um, the, um, even the um, uh, tourist industry in, in Alberta, which is uh, based in Jasper and Banff, for example, are, are staffed by, uh, by migrant workers um, uh, that came from the Philippines. And this temporary foreign worker program I mean, it wasn't invented by Jason Kenney, but he did really supercharge it and kind of put it on steroids when he was immigration minister, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, the, de- the Temporary Foreign Worker Program is, uh, was kick-started kick by the father of uh, the current uh, prime minister, right? Um, uh, and it, this is uh, really created just for uh, a temporary basis um, uh, on construction, um, you know, high-skilled industry, uh, but during the uh, the conservative government uh, and Jason Kenney being the minister of that government, um, they opened up the doors to quote unquote the low the low wage, uh, low skill sector, which is um, you know pretty much um, your um, industries in food, food services uh, like the um, 
food uh, caregiving um, caregivers uh, are also um, accelerated during those times and and um, within that period from 2002 to 2000 to 2013 um, there's more and more Filipinos going into the uh, food production industry and, and farms mm. and so you know this temporary foreign worker program was kind of you know kicks not kick-started but really like juiced up by Kenny and 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 temporary foreign workers like really flowed into Alberta at this time like like let's kind of make we kind of are talking about them in general terms but like you know what kind of uh I think we talked about what kind of jobs that they were doing and how they got here but like you know what are the challenges that they faced specifically you know the people who face uncertain immigration status what are the challenges that they face and how do people kind of find them I know everyone's story is different but how do people find themselves in kind of immigration status, which is kind of uncertain or unknown or undocumented, however you want to frame it? Um, well, the whole uh, migration issue is not a clear cut issue, right? Um, it is very complex, um, you know, for, uh, for Filipinos, um, you know, um, even I guess if you could start uh, backtrack on how they get to Canada, you know, many are recruited uh, by brokers uh, from their barrios in the villages in the Philippines. Um, so these, you know, migrant workers or potential migrant workers uh, would pay amount of money just to be able to leave the Philippines. And so the Philippines itself has created a, a labor export policy um, where they systematically send uh, Filipinos abroad. Um, uh, Filipinos leaving the Philippines uh, amount to 6,092 Filipinos that leave the Philippines every day uh, and they go to 192 countries around the world. Canada is a favorite destination because uh, Canada have this carrot on the stick. Um, it offers this quote-unquote uh, pathway to permanent residency as opposed to Saudi Arabia, for example, or Hong Kong, where there's a lot of domestic workers, Filipino domestic workers. So Canada is, a, is, is the, the destination of choice. So many migrant Filipinos, for example, would work uh, for five, six years in Hong Kong as a domestic worker, but would apply for a nanny in Toronto. Right? Um, so those are the, uh, the, the, certain, you know, the patterns of migration of, of Filipino migrants. And, and of course, when they come to, uh, to, to Canada, uh, there's this whole requirement of, uh, that they need to fulfill in order for them to become, quote unquote, eligible to become a permanent resident. And that's usually it's a two-year, uh, for nannies, it's two-year living with your employer, um, which creates a whole lot of uh, labor issues. Uh, and there's this uh, TFW pilot project, which uh, goes to the low-wage sector, um, your uh, food industry. Um, and and uh, with those working conditions, um, it's not really just um, the actual work that they do, like any other workers, but the fact that their working relationship between um, between them and the employer is tied to what they call the um, uh, LMIA or Labor Market Impact Asse Assessment, which means that uh, a work permit of a migrant worker is tied to an employer. A migrant worker that works for an employer cannot leave that employer, um, otherwise they lose that work permit. 
that, that sounds like it would make it hard to complain about them or say join a union if that employer didn't want a, a union formed in the workplace or like any type of way to kind of hold that employer accountable when your entire existence in the country is dependent on them saying, yes, we want this person in the country. Exactly. You know, um, like imagine a, uh, a caregiver who's working for a family living in their basement um, and the work permit is tied to that employer. Um, the, the worker, the, the power imbalance just in that workplace uh, is problematic and, and even a home while they are considered workers, quote unquote, home is not defined as a workspace, a workplace. Um, uh, so a, a caregiver, for example, really having a hard time um, airing grievances uh, because where would they go to, right? If they go to the labor, um, uh, labor board, they would still have to go home to their employer's house. Um, so there's, it really creates uh, an imbalance um, uh, within the workplace. Um, and, and they're very susceptible to uh, abuse, uh, you know, whether it's uh, labor abuse of long hours of work, non-payment of wages, to, to sexual abuse, to harassment, um, and things like that. Um, and they have nowhere to go. Um, on the other end, though, is that um, the fact that they needed, the, the fact that they left the Philippines to provide for their family, um, losing their job, um, is really not a choice. Um, it means, uh, you know, they cannot send money back home. It means fear of deportation, right? Um, so um, it, it's really, you know, complex uh, in, in, in dealing with these issues. Um, with the ones working in um, low-wage sector, for example, it's, it's not different except, you know, they, they have their own home, um, quote-unquote, um, where they live along with other migrant workers. Uh, many employers um, that, that import them uh, have bought their own homes uh, that they uh, rent out to their uh, migrant worker, right? Um, so they, they, it's double whammy, right? They, they, they exploit them in the workplace, but also they rent, you know, rooms uh, to these migrant workers. And if the migrant workers tell their employer that I cannot rent your room anymore because it's too expensive, uh, they're always threatened of, um, uh, uh, you know, termination, and termination for them is deportation, right? So. Yeah, and then the, the final kicker is when they bring in the company store where you have to buy all your groceries from the company as well. <laughs> for sure. I mean, I mean that's what's going on in Cargill, Cargill right? Um, you know, is that... Um, there are many uh, homes there uh, that are bought, uh, they, you know, uh, there's a landlord that bought several houses and they uh, rent it out to, uh, to these migrant workers, right? So, okay, so, so we have this kind of tremendously exploitative kind of immigration and migrant worker, temporary foreign worker regime in Canada. And while it might be better than Saudi Arabia, it's still very bad. <laughs> And hmm. these Filipino folks who are caught up in it find themselves in situations that are often untenable and, and are tremendously exploitative and bad. And, you know, and in this case, people also got caught up in uncertain immigration status, right? Where they like, the system is this Byzantine, you know, like system where, you know, 
if you don't fill out the right form at the right time, all of a sudden you're now like not a person that's supposed to be in Canada anymore. Mm-hmm. And it does, it does kind of deny people their kind of fundamental existence because, you know, as we have seen with coronavirus, like I don't care whether you're by the law supposed to be here or not. If you have coronavirus, I want you to get tested. I want you to get treated because if you are not, and you are running around you know, working at a workplace and, and, and being forced to work because of your situation, like that just means that every, like this coronavirus pandemic is, is going to get worse before it gets better if we don't, don't, don't address this problem, right? Mm-hmm. And that's where your healthcare for all campaign comes in, right? And I, I got a release from you folks a few weeks ago. Um, you know, I think folks might be familiar with kind of Medicare for all from Bernie Sanders. Well, the Grande Alberta has this healthcare for all campaign. Can you kind of run us through what you're asking for, what the demands are, you know, what, what people need to do to help kind of thing? Um, yeah, you know, I mean, it's, it's not of uh, the Bernie Sanders uh, Renew Deal plan, right? <laughs> um, it, it is a specific um, uh, ask, it's a specific call, particularly around um, uh, healthcare for undocumented migrants and um, uh, like you said, you know, um, because of the situation of migrants um, and even the whole process of ap- applying for permanent residency is very restrictive. There are many, many migrants that fall into the cracks and and, um, uh, and they have made those tough decisions to stay um, simply because, you know, there's nothing back home for them, you know. And meanwhile, their family have to eat um, and they have no jobs for them there. Um, they made that 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 hard decision to be separated from their families uh, and, and stay in Canada, uh, no matter what. Um, and of course, when you are undocumented uh, in Canada, in Alberta, um, uh, there is nothing for you. There is no uh, government services uh, that you can access, um, uh, and that includes healthcare. Um, just to segue a little bit, um, in 2017, there was a campaign, like we're part of it also, uh, to have Edmonton um, be a access without fear city, right? Um, and, uh, and the city of Edmonton actually have designated the city as an access without fear city. But uh, what does that mean? It does not mean anything. It does not mean shit. Um, it, it, you know, it allows you to get a library card and access to recreation center. And I'm not sure if there's many uh, undocumented uh, workers rushing to go swimming. Um, so um, we are really um, still trying to push um, uh, the city to, to, uh, to provide a little board service or at least, um, you know, look into uh, providing those services. And, um, and um, and that and that continues. Um, along with that, of course, uh, as you said, you know, we have this campaign called um, AHS for All, um, and it's uh, it's a very targeted campaign to include um, uh, healthcare um, uh, for uh, undocumented um, migrants, and and particularly in this time of uh, global pandemic. Um, and just imagine if. If an undocumented migrant contracted uh, the virus, um, they might do what they usually do. You know, they call Dr. Google, right? Um, and <laughs> just figure out how they, you know, how they cure themselves. Um, but 
it, it is scary. It's scary not just, you know, um, uh, their lives will be at risk, but also their neighbors uh, and their communities and, and Albertans in particular. Yeah, so so hashtag AHS for all is the hashtag that you're using, right? And mm-hmm. yes, you're what you what you're one of your specific demands, as far as I can tell, is is kind of getting a statement from you know Dr. Dina Hinshaw that you know she has said that everyone has access, but I think she needs to be absolutely explicit that no matter your immigration status, that like if you are sick, get tested. If you are sick, go to a hospital. Mm-hmm. Right, like that—that that is kind of, mm-hmm. I think, key to this whole thing is that it, it, in communications from our leaders of our health systems, that like, regardless of your immigration status, if you're sick, you need to you need to get tested, and if you are and if you are unwell, you need to go to a hospital. Right, uh, right, and 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 I think that that's what we are hearing also, you know, from uh, from different MLAs. You know, um, they said that you know they're not going to ask you for. Um, for uh, uh, the health card, if you go de- get tested, of course not, you know, um, because you got symptoms. And and um, but I think you know the problem is the treatment and the cure, or the treatment and the care, um, is that uh, a, a problem? Because uh, at the end of the day, they will still go to the hospital, um, they'll get treated, um, uh, but at, you know, but they get charged, right? Um, but then they would walk away with like a twenty twenty thousand dollar bill or something if they were in the hospital for a few weeks. Right. Uh, a good example is that there's a couple of uh, pregnant single mom um, that's undocumented uh, last year that we 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 tried to help and find uh, birthing centers and and um, and hospitals that could you know provide support. Uh, we didn't can find anything, so we, you know they they went to the hospital, uh, gave birth. The next day they leave, um, and what this mom's told me is that. They feel that they're feeling something that they shouldn't feel that way, right? Um, um, and now the hospital starts sending bills. You know, after six months, it's the collection agency that are sending bills. It's not the hospitals anymore. Uh, you know, and these bills are not cheap. They're like, you know, um, birthing is approximately 7000 to $12,000. Um, so and and it's a right. I mean, it's it's you know uh, a right to give birth. It's you know. I mean, we um, like to think we have this universal healthcare program in Alberta, but it, this universal healthcare program doesn't necessarily involve people who haven't jumped through all of the hoops for permanent residency or citizenship or whatever, which again are these largely arbitrary things that the state has created. At the end of the day, right. if a person is standing in front of you and they're having a baby, they need help. They, they need all the assistance they can get to ensure that a healthy baby is born, right? <laughs> and, and, and to think that we are making that conditional in Canada makes my blood boil. And, and I know we talked about it when it was happening, whenever that was last year. That it's so sad that this is, this is the society that we have, right? And, and, and your press release on this matter like, does bring up people you know, who, who are afraid to use their real names, right? Who are afraid of coming forward. Like the story of Lynn, like which who is not her real name, you know, she came to Canada, she came to Ontario as a restaurant and bakery manager in 2010 as a temporary foreign worker. You know, her contract was prematurely ended while she was waiting for a work permit. She got pregnant, um, you know, gave birth to a daughter in 2015. You know, by this time she had lost her status and her health coverage. You know, the quote from her is incredible. It's like the quote from this woman, Lynn. We do not want to be a burden to the Canadian economy. We were once 
part of the active members of the Canadian society who worked diligently, contributed to the economy, paid all taxes, and hoped to eventually get a permanent residency. We have worked night and day to show our utmost desire to eventually be part of Canadian society. Like, these, these are real people who are here, who are like, you know, our neighbors. And, you know, our system, uh, this, this cruel system that we've created has kind of left them feeling as if they have, like, done something wrong, as if they can't go to the hospital when they're sick, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and um, there's a couple of, uh, you know, and, and some of the reactions that I, I get um, from, from Canadians, from some Albertans are, uh, so why don't she just go home, right? Um, um, or, well, uh, isn't that illegal? Um, so it, it, it really, you know, it really needs a lot of um, uh, awareness and education um, also among Canadians, among Albertans, um, in terms of what the what are the lives or what these workers have gone through uh, to the, be here. The mere existence of someone, someone cannot be illegal. You know, like a person standing there just living is not illegal, right? And mm-hmm. and like countries are fake. And to think that like that, that this special status that we have created for ourselves somehow inoculates us from taking care of the people who are like literally next to us and in need of care is like psychopathic shit, right? And and mm-hmm. and the more we talk about it and the more we 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 have conversations like these, like I don't care what your immigration status is, you know. I want to make sure that you are happy and healthy and are able to live a full life, and like. Mm-hmm these people want to work and they don't want to be exploited. They want to go to the hospital when they get sick. Like these are not um, kind of, these are not demands that are unreasonable in any way. Right. 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 Um, yeah. And, and, and um, you know, uh, on the other side, they're the ones that are washing the dishes in the kitchen, making, you know, $7 an hour, $5 an hour. Right. I mean, uh, these quote unquote invisible workers, are, are getting paid slave wages um, to be able to feed us, right? To ensure our, that our buildings are clean, you know? Um, you know, so they, they work in the shadows. They work, you know, um, uh, and people don't see that. They don't, they don't understand why are they here, right? Yeah. And, and to go back to the AHS for All campaign, uh, uh, the provinces of BC, Ontario, and Quebec, have made the announcement that they will cover the cost of COVID-19 services for people who are uninsured and who might not necessarily meet the criteria necessary for, for healthcare coverage, right? Right. I think they, they relaxed the requirements uh, a little bit, particularly uh, around, uh, around this time. And uh, I think it's recognizing the fact that, you know, um, everybody, regardless of your status, will or can, you know, con- contract the disease, right? Mm-hmm. And so I also think we can't have you on and not talk about the ongoing disasters that are facing, that the Filipino community is facing, uh, especially the workers who work in, in the meatpacking plants and the continuing care facilities. I mean, mm-hmm. those workplaces have a lot of Filipino workers, as we are discovering, and they are disproportionately facing the brunt of this pandemic, right? Like the latest numbers we have on coronavirus cases and and just for uh, for the sake of our audience, we're recording this on Thursday, April 30th. Um, 821 can, cases combined 
when you look at both mm-hmm. the Cargill and the JBS plants, that's the High River mm-hmm. and the Brooks plant. That Cargill outbreak uh, is the single largest outbreak in Canada. <laughs> mm-hmm. And it, yeah, it's absolutely wild. Like it's an absolutely, it's a disaster that's unfolding in front of us, right? Like it, it's incredible that this is what it's come to. And then the other thing is that there have been 503 cases in continuing care facilities with 59 of those residents of those facilities dying. And we don't have numbers necessarily on workers, specifically workers at continuing care facilities getting sick as well, but they are directly, <laughs> I mean, these, there are multiple outbreaks at multiple continuing care facilities. And a lot of those workers um, tend to be Filipino as well. And while not only are they getting sick, but they're also seeing their clients like, die you know, in front of them, which has to be traumatic. You know, what, what do people need to know about how this outbreak is affecting the Filipino community? Um, well, it, it, the outbreak, you know, um, like many would say uh, it, it really exposed the, you know, the, 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 the divide between, you know, uh, classes, the divide between, you know, um, employer employees and, and how the employers uh, uh, really, employers' attitudes towards workers, right? Um, it's not different. I think um, the only difference is the fact that, you know, um, these uh, sectors uh, are, 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 are sectors where most Filipinos are employed. You know, for example, the care sectors, many caregivers under the caregiver program, uh, when they become uh, permanent residents, uh, they continue the care work. They, they start taking courses on uh, personal support work uh, and work at those um, uh, nursing homes, uh, elder care facilities. And which is now, you know, at the, at the, you know, it's ground zero for COVID, right? Um, uh, in Toronto uh, and Scarborough, there's uh, already Filipino uh, care workers that have been dying, and it's just a matter of time that, um, that actually just died and, and and dying. It's just a matter of time here in Alberta that that we get the same, uh, same uh, thing. Uh, similarly, in in Cargill. Um, you know, um, uh, Cargill sponsors DFW. Uh, back then, um, they have uh, processes in in how they sponsor DFWs uh, to work in their facilities. Um, and many of those DFWs back then have become uh, permanent residents, but still continue to work there because that's the the biggest uh, you know employer in in that in 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 High River. Um, so they, you know, they will work there. Um, I think that the question will be more is how, how, you know, how does the worker protect their, how does the employer protect their workers, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and and um, for for Cargill, their concern is like, you know, when are they going to open? Um, and 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 for JBS, up until now, they haven't shut down. And uh, according to the workers in JBS, in particular. You know, uh, two shifts have already merged into one shift, um, and and that creates a problem in terms of social distancing. And so the workers there are, are kind of concerned, uh, you know, uh, about their health and and how uh, they will be able to prevent, you know, uh, the spread of the COVID if they are stuck in a very close proximities with each other in 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 this facility, right? Yeah, I, I mean, I think it's quite clear that I think this outbreak was made worse, you know, thanks to decisions by employers and government and even healthcare leaders, 
you know, like Dr. Hinshaw. Like, when we look at the timeline of the Cargill outbreak, like, the very first confirmed case of COVID-19 at the Cargill plant was April 6th. On April 12th, you know, 250 Filipino residents signed a letter addressed to the High River Mayor, a guy named Craig Snodgrass, calling for the Cargill plant to be closed. You know, a quote from the letter is this. We, the workers, and our families are worried and scared for the possibility that we might bring the virus with us at home. Like they're they telling, they're begging for the plant to be closed on April 12th. Mm-hmm. Uh, on, on April 18th, Cargill holds a telephone town hall with workers. Um, and there's no union representation on this call, but there is representatives from government, specifically the agriculture minister, Devin Dreeshin, as well as Dr. Dina Hinshaw. They were on the call, they were present, they took questions. Finally, on April 20th, a worker dies of COVID. And it's quite clear from the stats that the outbreak is out of control and they finally closed the plant on April 20th. So just to go back on the timeline, April 6th, first confirmed case, April 12th, plant, the, the community begs for the facility to close. April 18th, the agriculture minister and Dr. Dina Hinshaw are saying everything's fine. Two days later, April 20th, finally, they closed the plant. Yeah, it took 14 and days. And yeah. that, exactly, right? And now and now we're in the position where Cargill is saying they're going to open the facility back up again on Monday, May 4th. They mm-hmm. said they would be Monday. idling for two weeks, right? Yeah, this coming Monday. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't see how you can with the single largest outbreak of coronavirus is like literally still running through everyone who works at that plant and the city that surrounds the plant. No, for sure. I mean, I, it, 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 it's, a, it's a concern by workers that we talk to is, is that um, the, you know, what's, what's going to happen to them when they go back to the plant? Um, uh, how would the plant work? Uh, there are concerns about um, uh, immigration status. Uh, many of the temporary foreign workers there, and according to the union, it's around uh, approximately 100, uh, whose work permit expiring in May. They, they don't see any uh, actions from the employer in terms of um, uh, renewal and so on and so forth. Um, on the other hand, uh, though, when, when the, the, the death happens, um, you know, the, the news that I saw CBC is that the the reason for the spread of the virus is because um, the workers there, predominantly Filipinos, uh, are living together, right? And they go carpool, and it just blows my mind on on how they kind of shift the blame on the workers, uh, right? Um, and 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 it's just um, uh, and then you know a, a slew of of uh, of media articles after media articles now focus on this community on this Filipino community you know in in the end of course the backlash uh happens where you know groceries don't allow Filipinos in it's like the sixties again when you know in California when Filipinos and dogs are not allowed in the building um, um it's just you know, the, the racial backlash of that, those statements is, is just uh, tremendous. There's even a CBC story on this, right? It was, it was uh, April 26th, CBC. 
Filipino workers at meatpacking plant feel unfairly blamed for Canada's biggest COVID-19 outbreak. And it kind of went through, not, it went through like the things that you're talking about there, some of the backlash that these folks have faced, as well as, you know, the statements made by Dr. Dina Hinshaw. And I think it's worth pulling them back up again, because uh, I don't think she's helped the situation. I think, in fact, she's made it worse. There's an, an April 22nd David Staples column in the Edmonton Journal, where she, where she says, she's quoted as saying, Many of the Filipino workers, it turns out, live in large households where it is difficult for a sick person to isolate themselves. In some cases, their partners worked at healthcare facilities and senior residences with outbreaks of their own. Some of the workers also carpooled to work at Cargill. There's also a strong ethic in the Filipino community to not let the sniffles get in the way of a hard day's work, Pinshaw said. What were you thinking when you read that? I, you know, I, I just stop. I, I can't continue reading, uh, you know, immediately, you know, um, uh, it's, it's shifting this, this uh, blame uh, to, to um, you know, ethnocultural groups, to one ethnocultural group, um, you know, and, and it just, you know, um, uh, it drives me nuts, uh, pretty much. Um, and, and interestingly, though, um, I think it also creates, you know, some kind of a backlash in terms of, uh, you know, that statement. Because yesterday at 7 o'clock, uh, the Alberta government, uh, along with three cabinet uh, ministers, have called on a Filipino uh, town hall meeting. So uh, the cabinet is there. The uh, Dr. Hinshaw was also part of the conversation. And uh, this ongoing um, uh, uh, message that, you know, um, we're not blaming the community. Actually, Filipinos are the hardest working community, you know, um, uh, just adding insult to, you know, to the injury. Right? Yeah, it's not like Filipino workers are choosing to live in large households or choosing to carpool. Like, if they were paid enough money to live in their own houses or drive their own cars, they would live in their own houses and drive their own cars. There's no like Filipino cultural construct that's like, golly gee, we really do love uh, living in seven people to a house. Mm-hmm. Um, that's just the, the, the circumstances of the, the housing and employment situation that they find themselves in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, there's, there's a strong ethic in the Filipino community. It's a lot that the sniffles get in the way of a hard day's work. That's because if they don't show up to work, they get fired. And if they get fired, they get deported back home. You know, like, like Hinshaw comes off as extremely kind of clueless about the actual realities of working people in this province, especially the, the folks who are working at these meatpacking plants. Great. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. So it is, it is, um, you know, it, it is, it, it is a, you know, a slap in our community, um, the Filipino community. Um, uh, I, I, I think, um, you know, um, uh, the Filipino community also, on the other hand, have been trying to uh, grapple what's going on um, um, with with workplace issues, with healthcare issues, and then this, right? This whole uh, racial um, uh, racial uh, attacks against them, um, you know, um, in 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 High River. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, it really is a tragedy, and and, and I think that. I mean, there kind of there really has to be, and there ought to be a public inquiry into what has what has happened at Cargill, 
and JBS once the kind of dust has dust is cleared from coronavirus because I mean I don't know how you can't it's the largest outbreak in Canada and and people are, are people have died Pe more people are going to die it, it is going to get worse before it gets better and we deserve to know what happened there for sure for sure I think um, that has to happen but also I think um, there's this should have a you know a a different mindset on how to approach this now, particularly among um, you know the working class communities, um, you know the working class people, um, um, on how the government deals with it, and, and also these these, these employers, right? Um, uh, I think it's important to really reflect on uh, these relationship between workers and employers um, um, in times of crisis um, that. You know, um, workers, particularly the the uh, migrant workers, are are the panel fathers, right? Uh, they're baits, um, you know, in, in this in this crisis. Um, whether it's uh, you know um, you know health and safety in the workplace, you know, um, or uh, pitting workers against each other, right? Yeah, it really is disgusting stuff. It is enough to make you incredibly angry. At, at these employers and at the government. Um, Marco, I think that's a good place to leave it. Um, how can people kind of help out Migrante Alberta? You know, how can they help out the campaigns, the, you know, the AHS for All campaign? If they want to donate to Migrante Alberta, how do they go ahead and do that? Um, kind of what's the, give, give us your plug. How do people kind of follow you and your organization? How do they help out? Um, yeah, I mean, we have, uh, this is our website, you know, uh, migrantialberta.ca. Um, uh, our campaigns are there. Uh, the Healthcare for All campaign is there. Um, you know, uh, I think Progress Alberta is helping us out with, you know, uh, some kind of a tool uh, for, uh, for people to join in and chime in, in, in into our, our campaign. Um, so everything is there. Uh, also, you know, if you're on social media, visit us and like, uh, you know, Migrante Alberta on Facebook. Uh, we're on Twitter. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're, you know, we try to promote uh, the organizations, our campaign. So um, look for us there. Yeah, no, definitely, uh, Marco. And, and Migrante Alberta is an absolutely essential organization. And thank you for all the work that you do. And uh, and listeners, if you if you like this podcast. You know, if you want to keep hearing this podcast, keep hearing uh, different voices like the ones you're hearing today, there are a few things you can do to help out. Uh, definitely share this podcast, text it to your friends, post it on your wall. However, whatever your preferred way of actually sharing a piece of audio content is, please do that. It, it, word of mouth is the single most important way that we can get the word out on this podcast. Um, the other thing, a real fast thing you can do as well is you can leave a review. Uh, whatever podcatcher that you use, whether it's Apple Podcasts or, or, uh, or an Android one, there's usually a way to leave a review. So if you can do that, that actually really does help the algorithm help people discover this podcast. And the other kind of final thing that you can do to help us out is you can join the 250 other people who regularly contribute every month to help keep this independent media project going. Uh, so to do that, you just go to theprogressreport.ca slash patrons. And there, there's just a form you can put in your credit card and, and you know, five, ten, fifteen dollars a month. We really would appreciate it. Also, if you have any notes or thoughts or comments that you think I need to hear about this episode or other episodes, I'm on Twitter uh, at Duncan Kinney, and you can reach me by email at Duncan K at progressalberta.ca. 
Thanks so much to Cosmic Family Communists for the amazing theme. Thank you for listening, and goodbye. Did you know that Progress Alberta is part of a national community of leftist podcasts on the Ricochet Podcast Network? You can find the Alberta Advantage, 49th Parahel, Kino Lefter, Well Reds, The Progress Report, Les Ficelles, Out of Left Field, and Unpacking the News, as well as a bunch of other awesome podcasts at Ricochet Media or wherever you download your podcasts.